Hello and welcome back to Control or Delete. This is a replay episode with the amazing Martha Beck, a Harvard-trained sociologist, world-renowned coach, and she's a New York Times best-selling author. This was the second time I interviewed Martha and we discussed her amazing book, The Way of Integrity. It's about how to get back in touch with your full self so that you're not divided in lots of different pieces for everyone else's consumption and you kind of get back in touch with who you really are and all those pieces work in harmony together. I really recommend you getting a copy of the book. I absolutely love talking to her all about how we shouldn't tell lies. That was the theme of this episode and how not telling lies can actually heal you and get you back on that path to your own integrity. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation and here it is. I listened to a recent gathering room on how to ask and I was like, I think I'm getting better at asking from a really good place. I realized when we last spoke, your book had not come out yet. And I realized when I read your book, I didn't get to ask you all the questions about that. So um, I loved your book so, so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So if you don't mind, I'm going to talk to you about it for the next half an hour so the listeners can go and get their copy and just have a little bit of a taster to what it's about, because it's really changed how I see everything and since I read it spooky things have started to happen and I just feel much much better about we have to get through my part fast because I (laughs) want to hear about the spooky things who doesn't love spooky things one of my questions is sort of centered around it so um we'll, we'll get to that but let's let's kick off then with the meaning of integrity because It's not what people think it is, is it? It's not about living with like pure goodness and being a good girl and and doing things correctly. It's about more than that. Would you be able to talk us through that? That is actually in many cases the opposite of what I mean. So integrity just, it comes from the Latin word. It's the same as the word integer. It means one thing whole and intact, undivided. So I have been doing this coaching stuff for 30 years and I realized that all of the suffering I was seeing from people, all the emotional suffering, and then the stuff they did that was ruining their lives, it came because they were divided from their their own nature. So they, they came out as babies with their true nature intact, and then immediately, bam, ran into culture in some form. Family culture, ethnic culture, whatever. Culture shapes us, and it shapes us to abandon what we know with our deep natural selves and the further divided we are from ourselves, the more we suffer and the more we screw up our lives. And the, the, the fix is to come back into integrity, to be whole in oneself, which often makes people think you're being terrible because you're violating culture, but that's what it is. You just are true to yourself, yourself, your whole self and nothing but yourself. That's integrity. Oh, I love it. And you use the analogy in the book of the of the plane and how all of the bits together have to be working in order for it to fly. And it's just the most perfect visual of, of what you mean. Yeah. Structural integrity. If the if all the some airplanes are made out of more than four million pieces and basically they all have to be working in harmony for the plane to carry people through the sky. And that is called structural integrity. And when we lose it, we crash. And the same is true in all areas of, of reality. This is my belief. 
<laughs> so I hope you don't mind, but when I'm saying to people, you have to read this book, I sort of, without meaning to sort of say, right, well, it's about someone who didn't tell a lie for a whole year and people's eyes just light up with excitement. And I'm, I know that's like not what the whole book is about, but it's like my own little pitch to people to read it because it is fascinating that you did that. And even though it sounds terrifying, I think deep down, all of us love the idea of giving that a go. And I've been doing it since reading your book, maybe oh, not to the really? same extreme, but oh. could you talk to us a little bit about that decision? Because um, yeah. you talk about it with such clarity, even though it was a while ago now. Yeah, it was. Well, actually, I have to say it was my first what I called an integrity cleanse. I was 29 years old and I was miserable. And I, was, I thought, OK, they say the truth sets you free. So I'm going to take that literally and not lie for an entire year. And I was very like I absolutely kept that resolution. And um, my entire life blew up externally. Uh, my I, I lost my religion of origin. I was like, that that does not work for me, which meant I lost my family of origin, my community of origin, because I'd been raised in a very religious community. Uh, yeah, realized I was gay. So there went my marriage. I didn't like academia, even though I was a tenure track professor. So there went my job and my industry, my entire career. Uh, yeah, it didn't look good. And I don't want anyone to do what I did. No, no, no. That's way too abrupt. But here's the thing. I'd been physically and emotionally suffering as long as I could remember. I had terrible autoimmune illnesses. I was depressed. I was anxious. And during that year, as everything went to hell in a handbasket, I felt my own wholeness come back into focus for the first time I could remember. And I started to feel good inside, despite this devastation of my life. So now, like I, I've been on a no lie cleanse this time since 2017, I think. It's not just about speaking the truth, but it is about living in harmony with your truth and, and not overtly lying at all. And I, I've been doing that for quite a long time. Mm. It's amazing, like but also the research and everything in the book around how telling lies does impact you physically. Oh my gosh. With your health and everything that, that just makes so much sense when, when you explain that. Yeah. They take these people in, they have a, a control control group. They, I don't know, read haiku once a week or something. And then the other group says, they say to them, try not to lie for a couple of weeks. And they're like, okay. Then they go away. Nobody polices them. They just maybe lie a little less. At the end of a month, those two groups are very different. The, the no lie group has fewer doctor visits, uh, fewer symptoms of physical and mental illness, more fun, better relationships, their careers are going better. And, and this is just like going, oh, well, I guess I won't lie so much for a couple of weeks. That's how depleted we are by the division of self that comes when we abandon our nature. Mm -hmm. And we always do it to for culture. Well, most of us, we try to do it to be good, not to be bad, to fit in, you know? So yeah, it's a thing. Completely. And I guess to um, just give you my example then of, of how this sort of in a personal way has affected my integrity cleansing that I'm doing is I've realized, and this is for the listeners who might um, relate to this. I've not actually said it out loud before, but I think for so long, I was sort of compartmentalizing my life. So I would have like my personal self and my public self and my... Mm you know, I'd act a different way with one person to a different person, maybe even just slightly. 
And I yep. realized that I wasn't being my full self with anyone. Mm. And since I have sort of pieced together all those different compartments, oh. I I can't tell you how how many amazing things have been happening. Tell me. You can't tell me. Well, <laughs> maybe you can try. <laughs> well, things like old friends who I sort of lost touch with, but were actually really incredible people have just started getting back in touch. Work projects ah. that I've always wanted to do have just landed in my inbox. Um, moving house with relative ease, even though it was actually on paper very, very complicated, but it was like, it just happened Wow. I don't know. It was just, there's like a different energy to life now. And I think a lot of people might resonate with that, that what I've just said, that you, you end up being lots of different people with, because you're scared to be yeah. a full self, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You try to fit in, but no, what you're talking about, it happened to me too. And all I did was I set out when I, when I decided to write this book, I'd been doing self-help for years and I, you know, I have a lot of people who follow my work who are very into new age stuff. So they're into manifesting and the miraculous. And I believe, I believe in science, but I believe there's a lot science doesn't understand. So I had gotten a little bit frustrated with the whole, I'm going to manifest everything just by controlling my thoughts. So they're always positive. And as I say in the book, I've never been able to control anything with my thoughts, including my thoughts. I can't. So I just thought, all right, I'm going to go back to the empirical reality of things. I'm going to do the hue to the trick. This is the last time I took the integrity oath, which was years ago now. But I said, I'm just going to tell the truth, know the truth, look for the truth in the most empirical scientific way. So I abandoned all the woo-woo um, manifestation stuff. And I just started being really honest, at which point everything I wanted suddenly started manifesting, but bizarrely, easily, just like you said. And I've come to believe now after years that the reason is when you get really honest, you're not only in harmony with your whole self, but you're in harmony with reality. And you start to realize that reality and you are not separate. So as part of you reaches out for something through the energy of being or whatever, consciousness, whatever it is, it is not separate from the rest of consciousness and the material world then seems to be responding to you. So it turned out to be crazy magic when I explicitly abandoned magic. Hmm. Yes. I'm glad it works for you too. It really does. And to the point where I feel like I can, I could be very honest with you, for example, about things, but I, I, I literally haven't told many people some of the stuff that's been happening because I just think it's too spooky or Go they would it. say, oh, it's just a coincidence. I love yeah. it. Um, but I wondered on that then, do you feel yourself drifting away sometimes from it? When do you know, okay, I need to do another cleanse? Or is it not really like that anymore for you? Do you just always stick to it? No, it is. It's like housework, frankly. Like it, it just the sedimentation rate of everything in the world seems to just mess stuff up. So if I start to drift, what happens is um, the first thing I get is anxiety. So when people come to me for coaching, they're always after one of six things. The first is they want to feel better because they've lost a sense of purpose or mission. You'd think that would be sort of far down the list, but actually it's number one. Second thing is their moods aren't great. Third thing is their health is suffering. Then there's their, um, their careers aren't going well. Their relationships are not going well and or they have some sort of addiction that they can't break. And every time I start to lose my integrity, I slide toward pretty much all of those, <laughs> but not very much. 
because it takes a tiny dose of that. It's like a taste of something that made me so violently ill for so long that like I can detect a milliliter in a swimming pool. And it's just like, no, no, go back to integrity. And uh, sometimes I have to work with it for a while. But the methods in the book are what I worked out over a 30 year period to make it as quick and as easy and as involving very little trauma as possible Mm -hmm. yes because I think I heard you maybe on another podcast or in the book even talking about how you would check in every 30 minutes at at, at one point I thought that was fascinating because maybe it does take that for a lot of people to to just redirect yourself very often if you're doing this for the first time Yeah, almost everybody has a smartphone these days. And you can put this fabulous healer woman showed me that she put on her her phone an alarm to ring every 30 minutes to say, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? How are you feeling? And for her, it was about rest and making sure that she wasn't overworking. For me, it's about my whole alignment with self because I'm a people pleaser and I will slide away from my integrity to try to make someone happy in a heartbeat. Still, it's just, it's part of my monkey brain. Like we are social primates and my, much of my life is run by this crazed monkey that I am. So you have the alarm and you check and it's more like you are now the zookeeper of the crazed monkey. And you can say, okay, monkey down, down, monkey down. (laughs) And it's, yeah, it's a fun practice. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to get a bit more in tune with it and just feel, feel that growth, I suppose, and check in with myself every year and be like, am I finding this easier maybe? But I I wanted to ask you, and, and you get asked this a lot, but I think it's really useful for people to hear you respond to it when I know with you and with other amazing teachers, like with Byron Katie, for example, there are sometimes a pushback and a kind of, but, but, mm. um, you know, it, it, I have to pay my bills and do certain things and I have to right. be out of my integrity or I have to be this way because of X, Y, and Z. And, and they're real concerns, right. but I also feel like the way you respond to it is is really great and a reminder that we can do things outside of that. Yeah. I, uh, just to get people really excited to run out and buy this book, I based the whole thing on Dante's divine comedy. Oh, didn't see that coming. Did you? Um, yeah, it's a thrill a minute. No, it's a very confusing epic poet poem about medieval Italian politics, but it's also a genius guide to psychological healing. So he starts in misery. He goes through the inferno, which is where he really faces his own demons, quite literally. And people like that one because it's like a horror movie. The the inferno is like a horror movie. Then comes purgatory. So Dante conceptualizes this. He comes out of the, the inferno and he's left his demons behind, right? So he's not going inward. Now he has to climb a mountain and it's extremely difficult. And I see this as sort of walking the talk. Once you've confronted your inner demons and you know they're they're wrong for you, then you have to stop following your inner demons. And when you were saying I'm a different person for depending on the company, I kept thinking about and so much of comedy comes from this. Scenes in movies and TV where a person has been a different self for various people and then all those people get together in one room. And that's kind of the essence of the pressure of purgatory like will you be your true self and all these like 
people will be shocked in different ways. You may lose, like it might be incredibly awkward. The social pressure of living our truth is it's a lifetime's work to get that, to get strong with that and unafraid. I'm still afraid. I do it, but I'm still afraid. Yeah. Oh my God. That makes so much sense. And and actually the goal would be to be in the room where it's relaxing because yeah. the amount of white lies as well <laughs> floating around the room. Oh my gosh. And you know what the secret is, Emma? It's the most amazing secret when you get really, really down to it. Like when you're deeply shamed by what someone thought of you and you go looking for your integrity, this is what your true self will say. Because your true self, remember, is your nature. It's like an animal. And you know how an animal feels when it's been shamed? It does not care. Like deep down, it does not give a crap what you thought of the weird hat it was wearing or whatever. (laughs) And if you get to your integrity deeply enough, then people can shame you to your face and you just are like, I love you so much and I do not care. <laughs> yeah. Oh, love that. Yeah. Uh, also leading on to that question then around, you know, the how to practically do this. Someone could read your book who is on millions and millions of pounds a year and have a privileged, very privileged life. And I would, I would expect they would find this book super tough. Oh though. gosh. Yes. <laughs> As it in, really is. Because they've got to dig deep. Yeah, because everybody tells you you're fine. And actually being privileged and being able to access things that bring you pleasure or relief, like going to a life coach or a change your life seminar or whatever. I've known many people in my life who are seminar addicts and they have the money to pay thousands and thousands of pounds to go to one expensive seminar after another to keep the demons at bay. So they never actually go into the integrity. They keep getting soothed because of their privilege or money. And yeah, they go further off the path and have a more difficult time coming back to their wholeness. When we talk about doing this work, I know that you did an incredible event recently, actually, with Elizabeth Gilbert. And she was sort of saying that not only are you an expert, but you've really lived this fully. And it's been really, really hard. So when you are walking people through it in the book, I feel a real connection with it because of what you've been through. Thank you. I know you've written a memoir and you've written very personally before, but did you want this to be a personal look at it as well? Well, I did for one reason. And that was that people, like somebody who's been through a really traumatic experience might, and ha- people have looked me dead in the eye and say, look, I uh, this is what I'm dealing with. Do you really think I can still be happy? And I haven't dealt with the deepest traumas of the human condition, but I've dealt with some pretty gnarly ones. So by putting in my own story, I wanted to say, even if you're, you know, reclaiming your wholeness requires a lot of loss, you can, it will still work for you. And it's still actually the path back to happiness. So I talk about being at Harvard after getting two degrees there and then being in the middle of my third and my uh, second child was diagnosed with Down syndrome very late in the pregnancy and though pro-choice, I decided not to terminate that pregnancy because I loved him already. And to choose to terminate would have been saying, not, I don't want a baby, but I'm going to choose which kind of human is okay. Right. And again, I have, 
I have friends who have made the opposite decision and I'm very proud of them. And I'm sure it was in their integrity. Mine was, I kept that baby and my doctors and my advisors at Harvard told me that I was throwing my life away. That was the phrase. And it turned out to be completely accurate because I threw away this whole life based on the idea that intellectual achievement or achievement in society generally was the basis of my reason for being. And instead, I, I realized that for me, for my integrity, joy is its own excuse for being. And a life without joy is, is not something I want for my child. So had the baby, moved back to Mormon Utah, where I thought people would understand, and they did understand about the abortion choice. But then I was like obsessed with integrity and uh, starting to believe in something spiritual. And I realized that being Mormon didn't work for me. Leaving the Mormon church is the one sin worse than murder in the, you know, in the dogma of Mormonism. And I did that, which meant I was, I mean, they say excommunicated. I wasn't, I quit, but um, the communication ceases between you and everybody you've loved your whole life. And they believe not only that you're gone, but that you're evil, actively evil. And people told me that. And then um, I had been sexually abused by a pillar of the Mormon church who happened to be my father. 10 years after leaving, I wrote about that and pretty much got the kitchen sink thrown at me. Death threats, legal threats, um, every kind of threat you can imagine. And, and, the whole thing was about, am I in integrity? Am I following my integrity? And I really thought I would die for it. Um, and I still would die for it. It was worth it. Thank you so much for sharing that because um, I do think it's a reminder that even though everyone's journey will be completely different on this in way of integrity, it's not easy. And and I think that's important to say, isn't it? Yeah. Because, you know, I know you use examples, things like, phoning up a family member and saying I don't want to come for Christmas for example and you can sort of laugh about how awkward Gnarly. that might be but it's hard it's oh. so hard but the reward the rewards are so amazing yeah yeah it, oh, the first the first holiday that I was separated from my family of origin I literally just curled into a fetal ball for any spare moment I had if if I was with friends I would go off to the I'd take a bathroom break or what do you call it there? Toilet break and loo break, a loo break, nature break. And I would just curl up on the floor in a fetal position because the emotional pain and the sense of having done something terribly wrong was so strong. And I would have to think through it logically. It's like if you've seen the film, A Beautiful Mind, it's about a mathematician who was schizophrenic. And during the movie, he figures out that he's crazy because his friends never age. <laughs> these friends he has that aren't real, that one's a little girl and she never gets any older. And he has to take his mind and cognitively go through why what he's feeling and believing are crazy. And I would lie there on the floor curled in a tight little ball and go through every single step. Every, like there was nothing I did that wasn't so deeply considered and reconsidered and reconsidered. And I was so sure this was the only way i could serve integrity and and yes the emotions took a while to grow back but oh my gosh it was like beforehand i'd been um walking on a broken limb that had 
healed badly and there was a lot of pain always. And then it was like the bone got shattered and reset in its proper alignment. So even though there was pain, I just had foot surgery. This literally just happened to me. As it healed, it healed stronger at the broken places and so free. It was, the feeling was so much, yes, this is what's meant to be. I could breathe better. I could laugh. I could, I was happy for the first time I could remember. Yeah, it was horrible and it was absolutely worth it. Oh, I love it. And I love your book so much. And I just feel that in this time as well of constant pings and dings and social media likes and and lots of things that we want to buy all the time and just life being so hectic, you know, we need to have that center to go back to, to just yeah. know, to check in, because we're, we're just in the greatest distraction time of, of, of our lives. And, and the reason why I love you so much as well is listening to the, a, a recent gathering room where you were on your book promotion tour uh-huh. and your book had just been like a New York Times bestseller, of course, and everything was great. And you even then said, I need to check in with my integrity. Oh my gosh, yes. Because when we're up Mount Delectable, because we will be mm-hmm. at times, it, it's checking in. And, and I, I love you for admitting that because it can be, we can kind of get lost in some of that stuff. Oh, so humor. much. Let me explain what Mount Delectable is. Right at the beginning of the Divine Comedy, Dante starts out with the classic midlife crisis. He says, I came to myself in the middle of my life in this hazy forest that was really scary. And I didn't know how I'd gotten there and I didn't know how to get out. I didn't know what to do kind of where most of us live most of the time. And then he, he sees this mountain that he calls Mount Delectable and it's rising out of this forest and the sun is shining on it and it's very golden. And he sees all these people reaching the top and he thinks that's, that's where I need to go to get out of this feeling of not knowing where I am and being afraid all the time. So he tries, but he doesn't realize that the mountain, Mount Delectable is continuous with this dark wood of error. And as he goes, these uh, carnivorous beasts assault him. And he, he describes them in emotional terms. He talks about a wolf that is so that everyone who sees this she-wolf becomes sad and can't stop crying. There's a lion that frightens the air itself. So there's fear. And then there's a leopard that is insatiable and it can't get enough. And these are all emotional states that we get when we're still in a haze and we're still locked into a cultural mode, but we're trying to reach the apex of that cultural mode. The place where everyone in the culture says that way, that place I'll be happy. And that's another reason I wanted to speak to it because I never got to an apex. I coached a lot of people who were at the tippy tippy top and they were miserable. (laughs) But like, I remember the first time I went on Oprah and I had a whole hour, they focused on me on my book. And I remember standing in the Chicago airport going, I don't think I did it right because I still feel horrible. Like that was that had been my Mount Delectable and I did it. It happened. And I just sat there in the airport going, I, I must have missed. And then I kept going back on the Oprah show and it was wonderful, but it never it never made me whole. And so I finally just left and went to the mountains away from to literal mountains into nature and didn't basically talked to anyone for a few years. And that's how I came down from Mount Delectable and finally found happiness by literally sitting in the woods covered with birdseed watching chipmunks (laughs) play in my hands. I love that story. I don't know why, but we are just so socialized to think that Mount Delectable getting to the very tippy top 
is what we want and then everything will be solved and life will be great and is really deeply entrenched and I'm guessing it's media and culture and everything around us but god getting out of that it does feel very relaxing yeah and so (laughs) few people can let go of the illusion because so few people can actually get to that spot so they keep thinking oh you're just saying that if i got there it'd be okay but break it down like if i said to myself when i was wanting to go on oprah do i love being inside all the time because tv studios have no windows do i love loud screaming because that is a loud screaming audience if you go to the old oprah shows do i love um being on display? Do I love being photographed? These were the things that were literally on my list of greatest fears. So you would see if you just add up the math, you can see that putting them all together probably wouldn't make me that happy. But I still thought it would because the culture is so convincing. I had the same, a recent thing where I realized that I was actually really happy during one of the lockdowns, not all of them, and realize it's because I really am an introvert and I love being inside. And I felt I was really pushing against it because I was like, no, 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 I should, I yeah. should be able to go to parties and enjoy them. I don't, I don't really want to go to any again. And that's okay. <laughs> In the same way. And one of the things people have been asking me, you know, on social media and emails and stuff is, how do I tolerate going back to life as usual after the plague? And isn't it interesting that we should have that assumption that there was something that was more upsetting to us than the plague that we have to go back to when the plague is over because it's just the way things go. (laughs) And that's that's the only reason if you get to the bottom of why people say you should do this or that, it's because that's the way we do it. That is not a good reason. You know, I mean, your work could not be more relevant to post-pandemic or I mean we're still kind of we are still in it but it's everything you've been talking about for so long I mean it really is a time now where everyone is completely overhauling their whole existence and life I hope so thank god your book is here to help us oh thank you so much (laughs) but I just wanted to mention at the end here about how this really is for everyone this journey and I know that you've said that this, you know, enlightenment, which Uh is something that I'm also fascinated with and and genuinely think, you know, how do other people's brains who are enlightened work? Because I would like some of that. Um, You say that we are biologically predisposed to seek that. We we are, you know, we should, we are on that path, whether we like it or not. It's just kind of getting there and and getting the help and kind of getting on that path. Would you be able to talk a bit about that? Yeah, that biologically predisposed line does not come from me. It it comes from a a real neurological researcher who's been studying things like the way the brains of Tibetan monks look after they've been meditating for 40 years and so on. And there really is a different brain state where um, the portions of the brain that make us feel like we have a separate self, that we're different from the rest of reality, that part of the brain goes dark. And then the part of the brain that feels like it's in control goes dark. The only reason we leave our integrity is to control things so we'll be happier. But it turns out that the way to get past all emotional suffering is to shut down all control and surrender to reality as it plays out. And to do that from a place where there is no self, there's no sense of self, So, and I I used to read things that would say, no self, no problem. And I'd think you smug mofo, what the hell does that mean? And since then I've, I actually visit that place pretty often when there's just 
we're all dying, right? We're all going to be dead in like a minute. And when you get to the place where you realize most of you is empty space and that seven years ago, there wasn't a single atom in your body that was present with you, you realize I am just a wisp of consciousness around which these atoms of matter are temporarily forming. And it's always shifting. It's always changing. And sure enough, your sense of self kind of goes. And at that point, nothing can harm you. There's this, and it's not the happiness of getting to the top of um, Mount Delectable. It's not that manic cheering. It's not the monkey getting all the bananas it wants. It's not a monkey anymore. It's all monkeys. It's, it's the bananas as well. And it, nothing can threaten it. Nothing can threaten space. Nothing can threaten eternity, that which is outside of time. And our brains have access to that as an experience. Holy smokes. I think, I think now people are burning for that. I was just reading The Cloud of Unknowing, which is a 14th century um, medieval text. And it has this beautiful line in it. I will give up. I will abandon everything I know to love the one thing I cannot think. And when you get and Dante got there, he once he climbed purgatory he entered paradise and suddenly he starts talking like a 21st century quantum physicist so he knows stuff that he shouldn't have known back then and then all self disappears and all control disappears and he goes into this radiance that is indescribable he literally says he says stop reading you're not going to understand me but as i read over and over that and i followed him into the same kind of experience you see in the enlightened masters in asia And I began to sort of be swept up by that energy and had a very trippy time finishing this book under lockdown in a place where I felt like I was sort of riding with Dante through this cloud of unknowing. And it was so blissful. And what if we all did that instead of going back to the dark wood? Wow. It was incredible. I had this weird experience. I had a lot of weird experiences as I started writing about the Paradiso because I was reading it over and over and over in different translations. And there's a famous picture of Dante in profile. Um, And at the very, very end of the long divine comedy, he switches from past tense to present tense. He gets into, he approaches the radiance that is the source of all being. And he switches from I did to I am. And he says, and now I am become the love that moves the sun and the other stars. And I was reading that through and I, in my mind's eye, I saw that profile of him, but it turned and it looked me straight in the eyes with so much love. And my whole body felt like it was on fire. And I thought, Oh my gosh, he wasn't talking present tense, 13, 1342 or wherever he was. He was talking present, the eternal present, the moment of now that is all that has ever really existed or ever can exist now. And he just turned and looked at me and I thought, oh my God, the the world is ready to listen to this. We need this now. And uh, oh my goodness, I've got proper goosebumps from that because that, oh yes. I mean, I can't even kind of comprehend it. I'm just taking it in, but I kind of, I feel like I know what you're saying. (laughs) Maybe this is our chance for it, right? Like we're either going to just burn up all of us scratching each other's eyes out on a planet that's frying, or we're going to 
become the love that moves the sun and the other stars. And then there literally is no limit to what we can change. And there's no pain anymore. Wouldn't that be nice? Yes, that would be amazing. And in that moment, there is no past or future. There no. just is. No, it always is. <sighs> Oh my goodness. Thank you so, so much. And I, and I really wanted to say a huge thank you for your gathering room broadcast every week. You know, honestly, I know that you have so many people that say this to you, but in the depth of some of those horrible lockdowns during the pandemic of last year, having that check-in every week where you were there, that means a lot. And that would have meant lots of people were feeling lonely and a bit distant during that time and it's just oh it was lovely that you turned up for people in that way oh that's so wonderful i do it to serve integrity because it feels like if i didn't i'd be i'd be off my harmony but every time i finish one i go i am such a fraud who me i don't know anything why would i put myself up say listen to me all of you but it feels like integrity so i'm really glad it helps you (laughs) but that's the really nice thing about it you know it doesn't feel like you're it doesn't feel like you're turning up for people it feels like you want to be there as much as and everyone else does which which you can really feel and and love that it's very inspiring I think a lot a lot of us could maybe look at that and see what we can do and have that energy source that it doesn't feel like give or take it's just being just being just being present and your amazing podcast does that and I know that I people are listening to it now so they already know it's amazing but it really is just wonderful and thank you for doing all all of this for all of us Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, I've been doing it for five years and okay. not bored yet. So wow, that's so <laughs> um, cool. But thank you so much and can't wait to share the link below for Martha's book. Go and get your copy if you haven't already. Tune into the gathering room. Tune into the Bewildered podcast because that is just excellent in a whole different way. So, thank you. Thanks for your work. <laughs> and yours. It's so good to connect and see your beautiful face and your smile and... um yeah. Hey, let's just see what new adventure comes next. <laughs>